Once again, to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar, an Oscar race checkpoint, as the intro song did clue you in on. We have a variety of awards-related news and Oscar-centric news coming at you today. I am your co-host, Mike One. This is co-host also, Mike. So we haven't done one of these in a while. We're going to play a little, yeah, we're going to play a little catch-up with the Golden Globe stuff, all their controversies. What a shock, Michael, the HFPA. (laughs) Causing waves. Uh, we're going to talk about an honest to goodness awards show. An awards show season is mm-hmm. somehow upon us. And then I think we're going to do like our last round of Oscar trailers, which is a, you know, a hallmark of this show for, I would say, I don't know. This year it was 12 months out of the year, but usually it's like 10 months out of the year we get trailers. <laughs> but yeah, we got in trailers for a little while longer, but we got some exciting new entrants into the Oscar ring. Yeah, that's uh, what I was going to say. Maybe the most consequential trailers or set of trailers that we're going to review uh, in, in mass at once, but all of that and more. So if you've not joined us before for an Oscar race checkpoint, Mike just kind of clued you into what it is. We're going all the way around the Hollywoods and getting uh, our ins and outs of everything award season and Oscar season centric only so like you said michael uh supposedly this is award season i still don't believe it but okay (laughs) the gotham awards happened like they do every end of the year slash beginning of the year and uh, it was the 30th annual gotham awards that took place this past monday on january 11th broadcast by the ifp the independent film project they were live on facebook and as we discussed a few weeks ago the gotham's they do traditionally kick off award show season. Mm-hmm. I still am having trouble believing it's award season in general. But before we get into the winners, Michael, uh, you took the whole thing in. I was unable to. I'm dealing with two new puppies, a.k.a. executive producers, as you just uh, <laughs> put them up on Twitter last night on the 12th as a little birthday present to myself. So taking care of two puppies, believe it or not, doesn't leave a lot of time to uh, watch an award show at the very first day you get them. So you're going to be filling me in as much as you are everyone else. What did you think of the Gothams in general? All right, I'm going to be honest with you guys, uh, but I'm going to focus on the positives at the end of the day. But right here for this general thoughts question that you just gave me, this was an excruciating watch overall. This was really, really painful. I remember texting you in the middle of the show. You're like, I can't watch this. These dogs are shitting everywhere, (laughs) whatever you said. And I'm like, I can't even watch it if I wanted to. And I'm like, fine, fine, fine. You're not missing anything. And I I meant it because especially at the like halfway point, it was very frustrating. Frustrating uh, because of all the Zoom delays, because of all of the, uh, I don't know, all of the letdowns, because I love the Gotham Awards every year. Sure. It is that kickoff. It is a place where they do like 12 to 15 awards and two hours plus, and they give all these speeches room to breathe, and everybody's just so happy to be at the first award show of the season, Mike. It's almost mm-hmm. like, it's almost like uh, just this joyous night in new york city i mean you got like overlords like netflix there last last year sponsoring it i felt like i got to know noah bomback yeah because he was given so many speeches Mm -hmm. and he gave long speeches so i felt like i was buddies (laughs) with the guy at the end of it but i mean they do get to to deliver these long charming speeches if they start out awkwardly they can figure it out but this show i was squirming quite a bit and uh 
the acceptance speeches were like flustered because people weren't sure that they were live yet or they didn't under there were some real technical issues and it made for some awkward and foot and mouth speeches that was just aggravating to me like that isn't that's an eyesore and ear sore for me but there's also a few good uh a few great moments i would say that this show built up to. So I, I will focus on the positives after that review here. And I don't know. We tried to come up with a movie. Like, what's a great scene in a terrible movie? Maybe our fans <laughs> could tell us that. I mean, I think the one we came up with that I believed is the truth, and people are going to get mad at us right now, is a Bronx tale. Yes, yes. <laughs> now you can't leave. That's a great scene, and that movie is overrated, folks. I tried we to rewatch that movie. Fans, I actually I gave a review of that uh, not too long ago on this show, and uh, yeah, I was surprised how, like eighty something percent on the tomato meter, right. huh? Okay, so. I. I went to school right there, literally. Right. And it was like a rite of passage that freshman year. And I never really liked it that much. And I will be a coward to the day I die because I never told anybody until now. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, well, fine. We'll watch Bronx Tale again. No, but that that's the truth. That, that, there's there's cowardice on full display. The pandemic changes people. But uh, yeah, in all seriousness, I mean, that's what the IFP and the Gothams had to work through in terms of adversity and why this was more of a Zoom meeting than it was a traditional award show for the most part, I guess is how you're kind of describing it. But all right, let's let's talk about these moments of greatness kind of to start off here. We have six tributes and special awards that did take place on the night. Steve McQueen and Ryan Murphy are the filmmakers that were honored, as well as Viola Davis and the late great Chadwick Boseman. Those were the four tributes. Jeffrey Wright was given the Made in New York Award and the Trial of the Chicago 7, which was made for exactly the $35 million budget limit of these indie film awards. Uh, Aaron Sorkin's Best Picture Contender there won the Ensemble Tribute, which did take Chicago 7 off the board, so to speak. It Mm -hmm. couldn't get nominated anywhere else if you win that Ensemble Award. So that's something we saw for a uh, variety of reasons that the favorite wasn't able to win anything other than the Ensemble Award at the 2018 gothams Mm -hmm. but mike you said the tributes were the best part of the show overall anyway and for a lot of reasons uh first off you know i'm a sucker for film montage i am the (laughs) montage guy i mean these were these were well-composed musical exciting comprehensive cut-ups of all of these award winners like career retrospectives in like three four minutes really well produced really fun to watch and i think uh you got some unexpected footage at least as far as i was concerned uh in these montages as well like you got to see ryan murphy's Broadway shows, you got to see Jeffrey Wright in all of these lavish painted on costumes on Broadway and Viola Davis performing August Wilson. So it was cool to see Gotham's, you know, uh, the Gotham Awards there, the independent film project working with their neighbors on Broadway to get that footage. That's that's very cool. So it sounds like if they were in person, this would have been one of the maybe more well-run and put together uh, Gotham shows. It's it just usually that, is, yeah. Yeah, it really is. It really is a fun show to watch. That and the Independent Spirits are kind of two of my favorites as well. Mm-hmm. But what about the speeches, Mike? Let's keep going with the introductions here, too. Well, here's an interesting thing t- for us as award show pundits, as much as we are awards pundits. Like, a lot of these speeches seemed pre-recorded, Mike, 
and a lot of these introductions from the presenters were pre-recorded. I mean, you could tell Zachary Quinto's in the bright sunshine at uh, it's 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 eight thirty at night in New York. I mean, even over there, it should be darker, right? Anyway, Nicole Kidman, Lupita Nyong'o, they're introducing Ryan Murphy and Steve McQueen. So it's gonna be a goosebump factory of high tribute if you have names like that introducing people with stellar resumes, right? I mean, you have George C. Wolf introing Viola Davis, and yeah. Mike, he'll have the old man up the nose zoom angle. Of course. But you're also <laughs> going to get the words from a man that articulate. So he had, you know, just resounding praise. For and those Viola are big Davis. names, too. I mean, those are A-listers all up and down the card for both presentation and uh, tributes. Absolutely. So they had the goods. The show had the goods and the best moments of it, to me at least, in this particular instance, maybe save one that we'll get to later, were these pre-recorded speeches, were these montages, and certainly the pre-recorded acceptance speeches. But uh, let me fast forward a second, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to touch on him later. But Andre Holland was one of several people to get up actually on the uh, Gotham stage, which, Michael, was very strangely like this theater with two Cadillacs in it. I don't know if they're going for a drive-through theater look. This is a used car garage is what this is. It was <laughs> asinine. I don't know what they were going for the the staging. Again, you know, we're film critics. So you got to bring you got to bring it for these award shows. You can't just have a couple of tables with some, you know, garlands and then two Cadillacs and then ex- expect us not to criticize your your presentation. Yeah, there. either it's, go full Maximus or go complete minimum, like go a bake sale type table and just totally mock the event in person. Don't go, try to go halfway there. So it was, was it going for that theme or were the, did it just look like cars happened to be parked there? Yeah, it didn't make sense. Like go to West Point and go into their stadium or something and have like a drive through setup and, and, have, and advertise all the cars you want or go to Hofstra or whatever. I mean, don't, don't have this like weird half and half setup with these cars there for no reason. I, I didn't get it. Maybe I wasn't paying attention. It was ridiculous. Yeah, there's two cars in what looked like a gymnasium, a high school gymnasium. <laughs> All right. Bizarre. So the layout and set design may be not the best, but there are some <laughs> uh, highlights and important moments of the night. Let's start by talking about Jeffrey Wright's speech. Yeah, Jeffrey Wright, he pitched his charity, Brooklyn for Life, that's F-O-R, brooklynforlife.org, O-R-G there, and, you know, this is a great charity, guys, go to that website, the charity is employing struggling restaurants and small businesses in Brooklyn to feed that community, to feed first responders, to feed uh, a whole range of people, all the way to the needy and the hungry and the impoverished, they're not overlooking them, so do seek out Jeffrey Wright on all of his social media, brooklynforlife.org. So... Uh, Jeffrey Wright's speech, I'm sure, was important. I did not get a chance to see it. The one speech I did seek out and make a point to seek out was uh, the next one you have listed here, Mike. A really heroic performance by Chadwick Boseman's widow, Taylor Simone Ledward. You can seek this out if you just type in her name. Uh, I watched it on CNN. It's heart-wrenching. It's beautiful. It's heartbreaking. The montage attached to it, you made mention of the montages and how well done and efficient they were. I thought it was a great tribute, but my Lord, what strength was put forth by this woman? It really was uh, the great scene in this movie, mm. in this two hours, in in this uh, in this night, Mike. I mean, you had 
Andre Holland courageously introducing his friend on the stage. It seemed like he's swallowing a lot of grief there. It seems like he's still hurt, and he found a lot of poise and strength. And he delivered this densely worded speech to set up that acceptance from uh, Taylor Simone Ledward, like you said, and she made us cry. I, I just yeah. simple as that. I mean, she talked about her husband in personal <sighs> terms. She talked about his career. She put it into context. I will not try and re- reenact and recreate her speech here and quote it. I think you guys should seek it out. Watch yes. it for yourselves. It's worth it. Uh, all of the rest of the show to me was a footnote to this moment. But when she dropped that one tear from her eyes, I mean, everybody uh, is breaking down. To see the, the heroics of that speech on display, and to and to really let the the loss resonate there. But again, it also worked as as a tribute. Like you said, you had the montage leading into it. You had her talking to her husband beyond the grave, which was the part that yeah. really got me at the end. And uh, she said sh- such beautiful things. So yeah, go seek that out. It is worth it. It is something that to help so many people. You know with some closure on, on this man's life and career, because it, it does matter in so many ways beyond the fact that they're grieving for, for a man. I mean, his career mattered to the industry and to so many good people. And with that, I, it didn't matter how good the show was anyway. How could everything else not be a footnote when you have something so monumental and so right. uh, just, just gorgeous words, gorgeous moment, and just bittersweet and melancholy and all the kind of adjectives that you can think of there. Just, Amazing speech. I I echo what you say. Definitely everyone should go seek it out and experience it for themselves. So with all that being said, uh, I'm glad the Gotham still somehow lived up to their role, at least of starting award season. And and we did get that beautiful moment. Let's turn our our gaze now and look at what is Oscar race checkpoints are historically about for us. And we're talking about the Oscar races. Uh, We want to recap the Gotham award winners. We want to discuss how the critics associations and critic circles have been voting in general. So this is going to be somewhat of a overall scoreboard catch up for our benefit and for you, dear listener, as well. And, of course, we're going to work in what actually happened on the Gotham Awards uh, program itself. So let's start talking about the awards scoreboard. And thanks, as always, to Next Best Picture, who is always keeping a running tally of all these Mm -hmm. on their right-hand column there. Uh, Awards Watch in their tracker section and awards schedule on Awards Watch as well, Michael. Let's start by talking about the lead actress category and what's been going on recently. So, first of all, the Gothams, Nicole Bahari won for Miss Juneteenth, Talk Michael. About upset. This is incredible. And this was a great moment at any award show. And this was one of the few times where that delayed Zoom call reaction was something to behold. Because she... Oh, yeah? Yeah, I mean, it was this, finally, on the night, it was a novelty where you could see the delay, and she doesn't know she's won yet. The whole thing focuses on her, and it takes, like, 15 seconds before you see the shock and disbelief <laughs> wash over her face. Her eyes kind of bugged out of her head for a minute there. They fl- At least they flashed, let's say. And then she realizes she has beaten... Francis McDormand of Nomadland, Carrie Coon, Jesse Buckley, and Ya Jung Yoon. I, I didn't think this was going to happen, especially after, you know, Ya Jung Yoon from Minari. She's been leading the supporting category, and you have Francis McDormand leading a, a commanding lead on Absolutely. the uh, Best Actress category. So th- this was cool. And this was like one of those independent film awards where 
it's to a, an actress that's not getting the momentum she deserves. And she is great. Nicole Bahari is great in Miss Juneteenth, which I don't think I've reviewed on the pod yet. Could you, do you remember me reviewing that yet? I think you gave it a quick, I don't know that you gave it an official score, but I think you just gave it a, a glancing uh, letter at one point or another. But so, you were, when you did speak about it, you were high on it. I am high on it. It's like a B-86 all day, Channing Godfrey Peoples, new filmmaker or newer, and uh, he just did a terrific job with it. It's it's not this showy performance either from Nicole Bahari. This is the definition of what a lot of critics are throwing out r- around town now, uh, you know, circa uh, Eric Weber there, he loves this term, lived-in performance. This is the mm-hmm. definition of a lived-in performance because this is a movie about, you know, a mom doing the everyday grind as a parent, working multiple jobs to support her daughter. I mean, one thing after another, having to deal with a a deadbeat husband there, father Mm. of her child. So it's a situation where it's not like this movie that's just a satire and a critique on a beauty pageant. It is also that, but it's more about this this woman having that strength to just get through the daily grind. And and that's what this performance, uh, that's what makes this performance so impressive and and so much fun that she gets to win an award like this. And it would be nice if this you know gotham's like we always say i mean everything and nothing all at once in terms of the grand (laughs) scheme of things so but it would be nice to see a new name like nicole bahari for that lead actress field which everyone seems to be pretty set on the the five names that are there already but nicole bahari no doubt the surprise of the night at least as far as the gothams go francis mcdormand as far as scoreboard tallying goes she currently leads on the critic scoreboard with nine major wins in the best actress category thus far carrie mulligan who is kind of getting uh, i don't know where it's coming from the second wind of momentum maybe people are just getting out to the theaters again since promising young woman was debuted on christmas i don't know Mm -hmm. why critics are a little late to the game there but she's second right now anyway with four major wins on her resume and it is well deserved for bahari to kind of break into the conversation more now i don't think i don't think she's going to break into the five necessarily because the names are so big and Mm -hmm. the you know, these films are high-profile films at the right. end of the day, in the actress race, at least. And and that's coming off the heels of pieces of a woman doing so well on Netflix. That viewership was crazy high, Mike. They were in mm-hmm. the top ten all week uh, for, for new movies, on net, for new anything on Netflix, right? After Bridgerton, which I binged <laughs> last night like a bodice-ripping... Uh, fan fool i'm just, such a pervert we need every recording from here on out is just going to be you bringing up bridgerton out of the blue from nowhere and why was good. it so good i'm glad you were so getting your money's good. worth out of it uh, so, we could, yeah, oh, pieces of a woman wasn't going to be number one let's just say on netflix but right. a worthy number two or number three i saw it and at its high points let's show, go forward now with the big category of best picture at the gotham's nomadland won not only best picture but also won the audience award and the audience award is voted on by public membership of the ifp uh, nomadland also won best film like i said to end the ceremony that's 11 best picture wins thus far on the scoreboard for nomadland and again, Promising Young Woman, second with four critics awards. So the critics picks Nomadland, Promising Young Woman in many ways thus far. That is exciting. I, I think that is uh, indicative of how critics tend to pick things. Mm-hmm. The big studio fair, the big Netflix fair uh, is still going to have a say. Uh, we're, we're sure of that. But we reviewed Nomadland after the New York Film Festival, Mike, and we knew it was going to be a major Academy player. It was mm-hmm. it was pretty obvious, even though, you know, your review and my review were a little bit different. But that's but we knew this was going to be a critical darling. So the fact that 
it's become a critical darling, and a lot of the pundits have it on top of their list, this is going to clean up. Nomadland's going to clean up at the Independent Film Awards. This is no surprise. I don't understand, speaking about the Gotham specifically, how Nomadland could win Best Picture if you're not going to, in that type of award show, award Francis McDormand. Not that I'm mad at all that Nicole Bahari pulled off the upset. I'm actually quite entertained by that, and I like that. I love mm-hmm. when upsets happen, but... Nomadland is Francis McDormand, unless I guess every critic is just, or every member of the IFP is giving total credit to Chloe Zhao. I think Francis McDormand's won a lot of stuff. (laughs) The Michael Jordan effect? I think this is the Michael Jordan, LeBron James effect. No doubt about it. And that's not a. that's not a, a slight to Nicole Bahari because Nicole Bahari was the one of that group to and pull the upset. Mike, but what you're saying, time, what you're saying, is a microcosm of why I've had a tough time saying it's award season yet. I know people are antsy for it, but there's so much time still, and the longer these favorites are out there, the Michael Jordan effect. For those, uh, there was a theory that people got so bored of you know voting for Michael Jordan for MVP all those years in a row that's why someone like Carl Malone ended up winning it even though Michael yeah. Jordan was the best player it, the the award season this year is just so long we still have basically two full months to go before we're talking about nominations for the Oscars that there's so many things that could happen in the minds of all those voters out there but it's going to happen at on the academy stage as well we've mm-hmm. seen that happen many years so maybe it won't be Nicole Bahari that benefits but right. it could be any other one of those actresses in that five and uh, let's uh, let's be honest i think if this was Frances McDormand's first oscar campaign this would be a different situation. We have to factor that right. in. And we, yep. we're the kids who say the darndest things, and we, we don't give a shit, and we'll just say it. We give zero fucks <laughs> during you know month 10 of this quarantine, that backhanded compliments to Nicole Bahari aside. Uh, yeah, I, I, I do think that's a reality here. I do think that's a reality in any year where Paul, you know, I mean, Daniel Day-Lewis and Leonardo DiCaprio. Were well, yeah, it was a reality there. just last year with Leo. I mean, he exactly. couldn't win because he had just won. So why wouldn't that, you know, that idea, which I wholeheartedly disagree with, and I know we always say, let's just vote for the best. Ha ha, that's a laughable <laughs> ideal to strive to. That's not how the Academy works. But if Francis McDormand did just win for three billboards, if you have all this extra time added on to the, the you know, people to think about and ruminate with their thoughts and consider their ballot, anything could happen. Well, here's what's going to be interesting now that we seem to have some studio fare that's getting rave reviews, and we're going to talk about it at the end of the show, Judas mm-hmm. and the Black Messiah, etc. Nomadland is becoming an early betting favorite. Vegas is behind it right now at 5-4. to four. David I wouldn't Long, touch it. Would not touch it. Yeah, David Long of the Is It Worth It film review pod, he likes to remind us on Twitter, and I appreciate that from him. Same here. Uh, he is right that everybody is also betting like crazy on Nomadland. So this is a situation where the critics are making their consensus. How much does, you know, they're putting their consensus forward, let's be honest, especially in the director category that we'll get to in a minute. This helps Nomadland to a point, but there also is some diminishing returns like we saw with Roma. Yeah, Nomadland, I mean, it's a good movie i don't know that it's got kind of the that 
that sort of legacy appeal to. I mean, Chloe, what Chloe Zhao does is truly incredible, like it always is when she's yeah. dealing with traditional non-actors. And the landscape is beautiful, the cinematography is beautiful, and Frances McDormand is Frances McDormand. It's you're going to get a great performance anytime she's on the screen. But in terms of having being the type of movie that can run wire to wire. It would be one of the more unique cases if it's able to do that. I mean, look, a woman, the lead protagonist takes a dump in a bucket in that movie. You know? Like, <laughs> that's just the facts of the situation. That's that's a tough movie to lead wire to wire in terms of best picture. It is not your typical best picture winner. There's no question about it. Now, in a year like this, would we be shocked right. if the critical consensus yeah. pick just went the distance because you didn't have all of the studio-backed, uh, you know, triple well really it's uh how many i don't understand uh dollars mike or 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 currency it is a seven no it's really a nine figure nine figure sum that Mm -hmm. that goes behind and backs these movies at the end of the day in a typical year i mean it costs like a hundred million dollars to campaign for the oscars for some of these big movies and and these huge studios dedicate as much to it so if that's not happening if disney's not going buck wild to put their money behind nomadland at the end of the day in terms of campaigns even if that's something that matters this year you know where money behind campaigns makes a difference there's just so many wild cards yeah a lot of that, variables. Yeah, I mean, the critics might be able to tip their hat to one movie and it goes the distance. I don't know. Well, let's talk about more critics stuff as Riz Ahmed won Best Actor for Sound of Metal, Michael. And we had Kingsley Benadir, who's getting some momentum of his own right. He won Breakthrough Actor for One Night in Miami at the Gotham's. Yeah, Kingsley Benadir beat Sydney Flanagan, who was my pick there. I thought she really needed that. I thought she was really starting to gain some momentum in her own right uh, for that actress category as a hope and a prayer and as an right. upset pick, even though you know, I didn't think it was going to happen because I still think there's like one spot in the actress category. I'm not necessarily buying the Zendaya hype yet, although um, by the end of the episode, I probably will. I'm close. Yeah. Anyway. I, I, again, Sydney Flanagan's probably not the one to to beat her, but it it was, it was just intriguing to me that she was winning a lot of uh, recent critical awards. So, I think she's going to wind up being in the breakthrough categories at a lot of these shows, and that's where people are putting her in terms of her lane. And it was her first debut performance, so this is a, a good sign for Kingsley Benadire. That actor race is heating up like crazy, though, so I I don't know if he'll get beyond that lane of breakthroughs. So what's notable, however, is that Riz Ahmed beat Chadwick Boseman after they gave him a tribute. And this is becoming a trend because both Riz Ahmed and Paul Rocky uh, from Sound of Metal are getting a ton of love. And they lead their respective categories, Michael. So maybe, I don't know, maybe we have to revisit Sound of Metal. We both reviewed it a couple months ago after AFI there. To me, uh, anything in dealing with Bozeman, I think that's going to be the brightest line delineation between how the critics treat it and how the acting branch treats it. People that worked alongside Chadwick Bozeman and shared scenes with him, I, I cannot imagine they don't, default to him on some category to at least get him nominated at the Oscars, you know? So I I think that's 
We're, mm-hmm. Whereas critics, we all just watch these movies, and yes, we feel a certain way about Chadwick Boseman. He did touch all our lives. Uh, for many of us, he wasn't there personally, whereas for the acting branch, he was. And that's kind of the biggest differentiation I can see in terms of how maybe the Academy and the acting branch, specifically the Guild, uh, will treat Chadwick Boseman on the act- on the Oscars ballot versus how critics do in these types of shows. Well, that's what's interesting about these critical awards and about these independent film awards. A lot of it is posturing. A lot of it is you know, pushing forward somebody in the race by the critics. And the critics do this deliberately. They admit it on every single podcast they've ever been on anywhere because we listen to them all the time and we know they admit it. We know what they're doing. It's not, it's not an accident that they do this. So it's, it's fun, but that's also why you take these award shows with a bit of a grain of salt sometimes. So it gives moments, especially this year. (laughs) Yeah. It gives moments to deserving people. Let's be honest. But you know, in terms of the end game Oscar, pool it doesn't necessarily uh, track best breakthrough director award that went to andrew patterson for the vast of night michael that's a nice moment speaking of good moments for a a movie that was quite the technical achievement otherwise Mm -hmm. uh, the best director category is something we talked about at length with in session films chasing the gold podcast with brian mcquade when he was nice enough to have us on last month and we debated then about how the directing branch could favor a a long-time guy still chasing his first Oscar there, like David Fincher, despite the fact that Chloe Zhao is running up the score with these mm-hmm. critics' associations and awards. But much like you already made this point, Alfonso Cuaron did a couple of years ago with Roma, the critical consensus in terms of what how much Zhao is winning, it could actually, in this case, be a reflection of how the Director Guild ends up treating the award for the Oscar stage. Yeah, I mean, if the critical awards are somewhat close, and let's be honest, in most of the other categories, it's somewhat close. But in Best Director, Chloe Zhao has 15 major wins on that MVP scoreboard, and that is a huge lead. I mean, we still have a lot of these to come. We still have Critics Awards coming out until March, and maybe even April in some cases. I I haven't looked at that calendar in a little bit. But the, the vote for Best Director from that branch... I again we have deliberated it with Ryan but I'm wondering if this is just indicative of a job extremely well done and this this branch and all the critics recognize that this was a really strong directing job because that movie is so so well edited it's it's mm. It's such a director showcase. And you have yeah. magic hour shot after magic hour shot. You got montage after montage. It almost re- reminded me of Hustlers from last year. I was shocked to see Nomadland just be so much montage, to be so fast moving for such for such a film that seems like the independent film. I'm in nature and I'm not doing anything for too long because it's a wonder and it lasts for way too long. There's some of that, but it moves fast. I mean, she's naked in a river, but it moves fast. Right. Uh, That's I what mean, I'm trying the... to say. Because it's well directed. <laughs> and Chloe's out too, as far as far as narrations go, or narratives go, I should say, uh, for award shows. She's about to be a household name whenever the yes. Eternals does grace whatever it's going to grace, whether that's theater screens or uh, home screens. Well, like Bong Joon Ho last year, I mean, she doesn't have the huge resume, but she is two for two. Like her two mm-hmm. movies, The Rider, and oh my God, I'm forgetting the name of the first movie. They're both great, and she's uh, she's did this trio of brilliant films now. Uh, in the American Midwest kind of deal. So I'm rooting for her, and I am buying the fact that I think the the director's branch is going to consider her in a major way with this scoreboard. It's been almost bizarre to see how 
much she has dominated in the face of David Fincher. Yeah. Uh, well, David Fincher's make is a little bit underwhelming. I mean, sure. I think that is an effect and, and has great moments in it. I don't know it. that it's underwhelming so much that it's just not a, when it's not something you think of when you think of Fint. Like, it's not the wow of Fight Club. Right. It's not, you know, it's it's just different. And I don't know that people, I, I agree, I don't know that people were ready to or expecting that type of thing. Look, we wanted to love it. Mm -hmm. Head Over Heroes love it as much as anybody, Mank. But I think... I think at the end of the day, we got a really strong film. And I do think, again, I we said it like the first podcast we ever recorded, Mike, expectations matter. Mm -hmm. So yeah. if you got this beautiful discovery in, in Chloe Zhao's Nomadland, never expected that to, you know, just humiliate your emotions the way it did. <laughs> Swanky, just a, a real life nomad, just destroying yeah. your your countenance because you start to cry after she tells her story. What a great job by Swanky. Let's get back on the Swanky train, people. Uh, but <laughs> Francis McDormand de delivering perhaps one of the, the you know, the first three-time uh, wins in a long damn time, right? So I, I, I think we have to consider Nomadland as something that is separating itself right now. Does that matter in the long run? Can a million things change before the end? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Uh, both yeah, to both of those questions, mm -hmm. I guess. All right, Mike, screenplays. Move on to screenplays. At the Gothams, we had a rare tie for best screenplay. Rada Blank's The 40-Year-Old Version and Dan Salat's 14. A little surprising because it means that First Cow, which led the Gotham nomming panel with four, was going to go over on the night. But uh, this is just further proof that whether you're talking about an independent show like the Gothams or the Oscars in general, it seems like the screenplay races are just totally wide open right now. I think so. I think uh, Nomadland... You know, it has the most critic awards and an adapted screenplay, but the father is kind of lurking and people mm -hmm. have praised that screenplay. An original, you have Promising Young Woman, Never Rarely, Sometimes Always, which seems to be a statement pick there. They're both at five. Minari, though, is waiting in the wings. And, of course, The Trial of the Chicago 7 and Mank, if Mank does get an award above the line, that, that seems like a possibility. But Trial of Chicago 7 was many people's favorites for a long damn time. The 40-Year-Old Virgin, I just reviewed it on the Nomcast and our, like, Hidden Gems, What We've Missed episode with Andrew there that was a movie review bundle I think we did nine films total six features the 40 year old version was one of those Mike and it, it really is a strong debut from Rada Blank I don't think she helped herself with this speech this was an especially awkward speech um, oh, she really? got kind of aggravated that uh, she was <laughs> yeah, I mean again it's understandable I think at me I would be like fuck you know I've been, <laughs> I would have been saying horrible shit <laughs> I mean I do that when I know I'm live on air but I mean she was caught off guard when she thought she had to give a speech and she kind of rushed it and she saved like this awkward caveat oh and I want to thank everybody else after gushing about like the fact that she won the award oh I want to thank all the other nominees and she like went on and on and on and she was tied so Clayton Davis was rolling over in, in, in his in his seat, and of course it was just awkward as hell. So that that didn't help. I, but at the end of the day, forty year old version probably in breakthrough first screenplay, first feature stuff, and well deserved. So it was a good debut there. Uh, wasn't the only tie though in terms of the the screenplay category. We had a tie in best documentary as well. We had a thousand cuts and time tied there, and the best international feature winner was identifying features. Those last two uh, to wrap up the Gotham's recap here, Mike. Yeah, so none of the international features that were nominated 
can be nominated in Best International Feature at the Oscars. Beanpole was selected last year, identifying features lost out to I'm No Longer Here, which I reviewed with Andrew. Wolfwalkers, mm-hmm. I don't think that was picked by Ireland. I think I just checked again, but that is an animated feature, so that could be nominated elsewhere. And it was kind of, I, I kind of thought that it was the one with possible Oscar legs, so I picked it, and I'm an idiot. But uh, Martin Eden lost out. I think I think it was eligible last year, by the way, in Italy. I but think that, you're right. Regardless, that lost out to Naturno uh, as the Italian pick this year. So, yeah, nothing. I mean, identifying features, I've heard a lot of buzz for it. I should have watched it at New Directors, New Films. I kind of missed it. I had a plan to watch it for a night, um, but uh, I, I, I bought it, and I didn't I didn't watch it. it was $12. You bought a movie I, and didn't watch it? I bought a movie and I didn't watch it. I planned to watch it. I was, I was ready After to watch it. After all the times you've killed me about all the physical media I own and unopened. No, it, it ran out on me and I forgot. I did. I forgot it. I'm embarrassed, but I'll admit it anyway. Um, not Won't be the you know last time that happens. <laughs> Best documentary, A Thousand Cuts in Time. I reviewed them before on the pod. Really yes. happy for A Thousand Cuts. Time's getting a lot of love, but A Thousand Cuts is a great movie on journalism, an important movie about the Philippines and about the political culture we find ourselves in. So a lot of, uh, you know, reverse reverberations from a film like that and uh, again clayton davis freaking out about a tie, another tie here but oscar's momentum for a thousand cuts and time two separate wholly different and unique uh, categories with two ties on the gotham's kind of interesting all right so there's your 2021 question mark gotham show recap uh, we can move on to some we we tease us at the top of the show the hfpa is going to hfpa so let's talk about some golden globe news catch up here before we talk about the noms coming out february 3rd so this week, unfortunately, and per usual, the HFPA, it must be January because they're in the trades for some controversies. Scott Feinberg wrote in his piece titled Golden Globes Inside the Genre and Category Deliberations. They seem to be worthy of the controversy as they have a heavy hand in most, if not all, of these decisions we're about to discuss, Michael. I was surprised to learn all of that from Feinberg's piece. And go and go read that for yourself, uh, guys. It's it, it, Awards race or the race on THR, the Hollywood Reporter, their uh, awards chatter podcast there from Mr. Feinberg. But yeah, controversially, Minari will be forced to compete in foreign language film. I mean, that category is just asinine at this point. Uh, this categorization is not just limited to the HFPA, though. Let's be honest. We, we criticize the Academy quite a bit, Mike. We're not going to stop. I mean, again, zero Fs at this point. <laughs> They changed the name of their award, but they still have a lot of the same language requirements. We just saw Funny Boy get eliminated from the Canadian selection because it was in a different language other than English or French, I believe. Anyway, uh, so language does box movies out of this category. We saw it last year. There's a big argument about Atlantics at this stage. Mm So I just... I mean, the egg on the Hollywood Foreign Press's face right now is, again, it makes sense. And I understand why Lee Isaac Chung and so many people, Lulu Wong, are upset that this movie is not considered an American film, that it's considered a foreign film. Yeah, it really feels like, in terms of how much the lines have been blurred and and, and honestly, who cares between what's a, you know, an American film versus an international. I mean, all these films are just so of, of such high quality, equally outstanding films anymore especially in the last decade or so it it feels like we're getting to like we're tiptoeing to a point where the Mm -hmm. entire international feature category is just going to be overhauled and that's not a bad thing necessarily i don't think uh i think we just need somebody to kind of just take the dive and lead the charge here about what exactly 
if the category is necessary, if we want to. I, I understand we do want to honor films that aren't American, but at the same time, I mean, these films are so good. Does it does it matter that they have their own? I don't know. I'm sure I'm I'm wrong there, but I'm trying to make a point saying that everything's great in terms well, of films being made. Feinberg really drew out the hypocrisy because Babel and Inglorious Bastards had the same language discrepancy sure. that a Minari did, Mike. And because it was a made a movie made by white people, you know, for white people, that they didn't lose out on the technicality. So there's there's some hypocrisy going on here, or there's some just ignorance. I don't. I, I mean, obviously both. I guess like Minari is an American immigrant story, so this one sticks out like an even sore right. thumb than a Chinese American du- dual story, uh, back and forth story like the farewell got last year. So that this is really aggravating i i hope a silver lining in it is that minari probably competes pretty well in that well that's what i was gonna say to to play devil's advocate just for a second are we sure minari would get their name mentioned on golden globe sunday if it wasn't for this ruling well that's the thing i think they're nominated elsewhere but it's it's a tough time uh for minari to get picked all across the board i mean again there's not that many awards here but minari should be in that five there's no question about yeah, it in my opinion agree with that and it probably you know that and another round i mean again hfpa is going to do some wacky things so who knows but i do think it should be a contender as well no speaking of wackiness how about a production that was made four years ago being eligible for this year's awards mm-hmm. uh okay so let's talk about hamilton hamilton and their cast are eligible in a wide open group of best comedy or musical categories as promising young woman was forced to compete in the drama categories after being entered as a comedy or musical uh mike these are the hfpa mandated decisions and we've taken issue with them already as we get closer to the globes now all right first of all i love hamilton i love hamilton on disney plus as a three-hour piece of entertainment more than any three hours that have entertained me this year, Michael. I love <laughs> it. Good. I absolutely love it. It's like an A piece of entertainment. If it was a movie and if it is considered a movie, it is the best of movies. <laughs> but it's not a movie. I don't think it's a movie either. And I think we kind of avoided this big argument back when because, you know, we didn't really want to step on its chances of uh, getting considered as a movie because we like everybody involved. But it was awarded 100,000 Tonys when it was eligible for Tonys, and this is a filmed version of that performance. I don't think that's a movie. Sorry. What what is a movie if that is, you know? Like, if, if something taped four years ago that's already had its moment at an award show in a in a experience or a medium that isn't theatrical i guess the you could be making the bigger argument here of what are movies anymore in general in mm-hmm. life and i guess that's one counter argument to what i'm saying here but to me that's not a movie it's a program it's it's a taped play it's a taped play it's a filmed performance and yeah. i guess if that becomes something that is added to what a movie is, then every great play should be considered... Exactly! You know, going here tooth forthwith. And maybe that set a trend, and I guess I would be into it, because I like Broadway, I like, uh, you know, seeing any production on the stage, and I loved Hamilton. But here's what's aggravating me right now. Like, and it's from the pundits who are kind of reporting on what they hear and what they see. They're not just making their picks, especially, you know, Clayton Davis at Variety, who's picking both of the Borat leads right now in his Golden Globes predictions. Again, he is, you know, 
he's reporting on what he's hearing. So the fact that the HFPA seems to be waffling and, and, and not recognizing that Hamilton is a superior film. To, no, and again, no issues with these other movies. They're fine. So you're saying it. it's not a movie and it shouldn't be nominated, but since it is, it should be a since no-brainer. It is. It is head and shoulders better than anything there. So if you put it there, it better win. It better win all three of those. Leslie Odom Jr. better win. I mean, just pick three people from Hamilton. To pick two people, two actors to win, and pick Hamilton in best okay. comedy or musical. They should own those three awards if it is eligible. I I I haven't watched the the the, the Hamilton experience yet, but if if that's true, then why wouldn't somebody, Disney specifically, buy the rights to these stage plays and just do this every year? That's another reason I don't think this should be considered a movie. I I don't know. I I think they should do that anyway because it was gangbusters for Disney Plus sure. and probably made them a a clean million dollars, uh, whatever that number is, <laughs> hundred million, whatever you want to call it. Anyway, a hundred billion at the end of the day, at the end of the you know this whole streaming wars right. because Hamilton was like the first must see thing of the mm-hmm. of the summer on a streaming service after the Five Bloods, right? I mean that was an event. Uh, in July, so that that had a moment in July, and that made that, that was a major move on Disney Plus's part. They added a lot of subs, and though, again, those subs are monthly, folks. So that you want me to do the math rant again? I'll do it. I swear to God, I'll do it. It'll be boring. It'll be nonsense. I will you do that math again because it's a hundred million dollars we're talking about here. Well, it's just a new avenue for. It's not like smaller production companies could afford to buy the rights to these musicals that uh, obviously the big boys like Netflix and Disney can. And it's just a new avenue for them to go in and take awards. I just there's there's so many pitfalls with this that it just boggles my mind. But OK, uh, talk to me about Promising Young Woman and that's categorization. So it's being forced to compete in drama against the explicit wishes of its writer and director, Emerald Fennell. And this is the HFP taking a stand on the film's subject matter. And this is not a hill I'm necessarily going to die on. If you want to talk to me that, you know, a movie about rape and about rape culture in general and Mm -hmm. about chauvinism is not funny, should not be considered funny no matter what, no matter where, no matter when, I get it. And I'm not going to burn you at the stake for it. Mm -hmm. However, the creator of the movie is calling it a dark comedy. We're about to review the movie next, Mike. And and you may disagree with me at the end of the day. Yeah, when I I watch this movie, Emerald Fennell is clearly, to my ears and eyes... She's writing jokes throughout the first hour of the screenplay. Bo Burnham is a bit machine. He is. I mean, there's jokes in the trailer. Indisputably. There are jokes. Yeah. Simple as that. There are jokes, and there are laughs in the first hour because the movie is scheduling you to laugh. And I am an easy laugh, and if somebody makes a funny joke, I will laugh. And yes, they're fucked up jokes in some instances, but most instances they're just funny jokes. So here's the thing about satire. Historically, satire is just this weapon of an enraged writer, an enraged comedian about someone 
who is not only a performer, but a reformer, an irate storyteller, Michael. And that means you write comedy about unfunny subjects. Stanley Kubrick made a hilarious comedy about nuclear effing war. Mm. Mary Heron and Brett Easton Ellis, we reviewed this on the show, Mm -hmm. they wrote a scathing satire about Wall Street excess and 1980s excess in American Psycho. Jordan Peele wrote and directed a laugh out loud until you get the joke and start sobbing horror comedy about the casual leftist insidious racism uh that that's going on in this country never mind real racism that's in that movie yes these movies are considered funny by millions of people yes these movies are considered comedies by their creators their writers and directors and it's because they are so i think I think, in my opinion, Promising Young Woman is a satire. It is a dark comedy. It is a dark comedy about unfunny subjects, of course. It is a dark comedy about subjects that probably shouldn't be joked about, of course. But then there's this payoff that hollows you out at the end of that film and makes you rethink everything you laughed about, circumvention you know, circumstantially throughout the movie. Because, again, the jokes are not directly about the uh, the rape culture necessarily throughout the film. I mean, you got some safe harbors. You got some oases in the film because Bo Burnham's a funny dude. But, mm-hmm. I mean, you can disagree on whether or not Promising Young Woman should have been a dark comedy. But the fact is, it was meant to be one, and it is one. So... I, I, you know, I don't understand what they're doing here. They're making this belligerent stance somewhere, or they're putting their foot down somewhere. I mean, if they're gonna, if they're gonna pick promising young woman as a winner, like they picked Bohemian Rhapsody as a winner in drama, and they're gonna put their foot down behind a film, then I can see why this posturing is making sense. I can see why it's making sense for Minari and Hamilton. All three. I don't think that's going to happen. I think Promising Young Woman is really hurt by this. It could, it should, it would have won, in my opinion, or it should. It was been clearly head and shoulders above any comedy or musical other than Hamilton, but they're not taking Hamilton seriously, apparently. So, I mean, gosh darn it. I mean, Promising Young Woman would have gotten, you know, a major award there, and it would have gotten real bona fide momentum and, and been a cinch for the Oscar nomination coming out of the uh, Globes comedy or musical in a year like this one. Now it doesn't have that resume. I don't know how long your monologue was just now, but I sincerely and truly think that may have been the best soapbox you've ever stood on. That's a great, <laughs> That's the great stupidest breakdown. soapbox I've ever stood on. They're, they're, these jokes are made. You're gonna. You're saying that now. Oh no! no I just mean. Movie. I just mean the argument about how it should be. I mean, historically, and the precedent that's been set by Hollywood already, and why satire shouldn't be. You know, it should be handled maybe with more kid gloves than it should be taken seriously. I think those are great examples. I yeah, you're right. I have not seen the movie yet, so I'm going to. I, I could come out breathing fire at you when I finally do, and maybe it will have an explosive review. But as far as the, your position on it, I, I mean, you have me thoroughly convinced. Well, if it was written by you and me, promising young woman, maybe we would be, you know, I, I'm not saying maybe, then it would be a totally different scenario. Emmerich Fennell wrote this, and she wrote this movie uh, about the culture, and it's, mm. it's not coming from two dudes, right. is what I'm trying to say. So at the end of the day, I, I, I don't necessarily understand the criticism and how they take you know put their foot down in one area and then they make a, 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 some ridiculous decisions elsewhere 
Well, that's the business <laughs> that we cover, certainly. And as far as other decisions with categorizations, we have two that might be impactful as far as uh, Globe's awarding goes. Maria Bakalova is going to be lead actress comedy or musical for her category. The One Night in Miami actors are going all supporting and Supernova Stanley Tucci will be lead. So with Bakalova right now, because Carrie Mulligan's not there and because the Hamilton uh, actresses are not necessarily be considered, you know, how they should be at the moment. And maybe that'll change. But at the moment, it doesn't seem like a Hamilton actress is going to win that award. Maria Bakalova is like the sneaky favorite in that category. I don't see why she wouldn't be. I mean, that's going to be a tough category for anyone to come up and claim as a, a runaway favorite. Again, I'm not, you know, I'm not just making my own decision here. I mean, Clayton's got her at number one right now. Yeah. And he's got Sasha Baron Cohen at number one right now for, for a sub, subsequent movie film in those categories. So it actually may help Maria Bakalova in that category because if she wasn't supporting, she's probably got some, some tougher competition. Now, One Night in Miami, I think that actually helps them that these guys are in supporting because I think loaded, I mean, I think best actor is loaded right now. And that's why it probably hurts Stanley Tucci. And we don't, we don't know if that's super category fraud Nova or not. That's the worst joke. (laughs) For as good as your soapboxing was, that joke was just as terrible. (laughs) Yeah. I improvised and I shouldn't have. Stanley Tucci is probably with a great performance, in the supporting actor five, he's going to have a really, really hard time breaking into the lead actor five at the Oscars. Am I so, crazy or has nobody covered that? Has, has it not gotten any uh, reviews back yet? No, there's some reviews. And they're, Are they're there? All, okay. Yeah, they're raving about Stanley Tucci's okay. performance. We raved about the trailer, obviously. So that's that's another late breaker that we're actually getting this year from Bleecker Street. And I've really enjoyed the Bleecker Street catalog, by the way, this year. By, and, and Mike, Wild Mountain Time is a guilty pleasure as Ann Thompson said. I, I rented that. It. I'm not hearing of this. 20 bucks. <laughs> it was funny. The accents were absolutely ridiculous. I grant you that. Ridiculous, but it's a funny movie. It's a, a charming movie. Beautiful cinematography and Christopher Walken gives the performance of the movie. John Ham would catch a plane on the first rejection and immediately go back to New York. <laughs> This is Emily Blunt we're talking about here, but no, yeah, no, this is, it's, it's nonsense. Guilty pleasure territory, though, it's fine. Maybe don't spend, I mean, Bleaker, I just gave them a big thumbs up. Maybe don't spend 20 bucks, but maybe when it comes down to six bucks, spend that. We can't take us anywhere. We're idiots. Nobody sits on a fence like Mike, Mike, and Oscar. Four Oscar trailers to finish up now. All right, let's wrap up with maybe the most consequential, possibly one of the most consequential late debuting films Ever. Malcolm and Marie had its trailer debut alongside its actual debut that critics got their hands on this week. So this is written and directed by Sam Levinson, Mike, of The Wizard of Lies, which we reviewed at the very beginning of our podcast. He's also done uh, Euphoria and Assassination Nation. And this movie, Malcolm and Marie, was filmed kind of in secret with Zendaya and John David Washington, seemingly during quarantine what do you make of this yeah that was the 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 word when it came out is that this film just kind of happened because everyone was available and bored and in quarantine so they said hey let's make a movie and now they may have hey let's made a a movie that's going to win some oscars because this movie debuted and everybody lost their shit on film twitter (laughs) like we haven't seen it yet we only have this trailer to go on but if according to what everyone's saying zendaya is a force john david washington could be nominated alongside his father it was so good that there was even 
a fabricated outrage to fabricated outrage on film Twitter about the two leads' age difference. Yeah, she's 24, he's 36. It's 12 years, mid-20s, mid-30s. All right, get over it, yeah, people. It's, I don't exactly. think it's... Anyway, and it's, and it's, it's fake. It's on screen. Uh, look, this trailer's great, Michael. Great, yeah. as trailers go, from the, uh, from the music. I think it's from the Alabama Shakes, or it might be from Britney's other band. I like both of those bands, and Britney is one of the greatest singers working today. I didn't realize that was her. I was wondering who, who that song was. That, that song is perfect for this trailer as well. Perfect. Uh, I love the title cards. I love the De Palma window split screens going on with the editing. I love the pristine black and white cinematography. I mean, this is not your typical smoky, steady cam kind of hazy cinematography, handheld cinematography. No, there's like this a noir is... aspect to it, but oh. it's, a, it's a romance. It's a love story. And you're going to get Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, like the younger version? Yeah. Are you kidding me? I, I love this trailer. I have to see this movie. John David Washington, Zendaya going mano y mano, not just for minutes like we had in the trailer, but for two hours? Are you kidding yeah. me? I cannot wait. And with that in mind, why doesn't this have best picture momentum? Like, okay, if it's, if it's all John David Washington and Zendaya, if they are the movie, which by all accounts they are, and if their performances are so great that they might both be nominated, which by all accounts they both might be, why wouldn't that make the movie a best picture force or best picture threat? I think it's wide open. I think the best picture race should be considered wide open. And again, that's not a slight to Nomadland or Chicago 7. Those are solid, strong movies. We got another two months for this thing to play out in terms of eligibility. And we got another four months for this thing to play out in terms of narrative. So yeah, like you said, earlier, Maybe you don't want to be in the lead right now. Anyway. Yeah. We, we, and everybody said that for years, it's not just us. And we, we said it last year about once upon a time in Hollywood, we were nervous. And this does have that appeal that I think uh, to, to be a longstanding favorite, if it ever does get to that point that I think, no, I mean, this is a story, at least based on the trailer that speaks about emotions that everybody can relate to. I mean, there's there's heartache, there's angst, there's love and lust, and there's also Zendaya using at both times too much and not enough <laughs> butter in a in a pasta dish, which is its own talking point. I hope that's like a thirty minute argument <laughs> no, where do. they eat the pasta and yeah, oh my god, I will be behind that movie if we got thirty minutes about pasta, no question. Here's me demand oh look at me, demanding thirty minutes of pasta in a movie that was shot during quarantine. Good for them, they shot it during quarantine. But I think this movie can, you know, touch nerves with people if it's well done, if it's fast moving. I you know, I wonder the closer it gets to actual, you know, indie film pace pacing mm -hmm. I, I wonder how it works if it works as a great stage play if it works as who's afraid of virginia wolf i think it really does have a chance this year to make some noise because again it's wide open it's a longer award season which means people get sick of whatever is yeah. considered the favorite yeah it, it just human nature and I mean, just as a means of, ironically, considering the next movie we're going to talk about, but as a means of putting a cherry on top of this review for this trailer, <laughs> I, I don't care if Zendaya is 18 or 24 or 60, all right? That woman in this trailer is every bit a grown-ass female who is on top of her shit and doesn't need anybody else's. Right. And, again, we, we've been over this before in a million different ways because it comes up in movies all the time. Mm -hmm. I mean, the age thing... Yeah, if, if he's really old, then, sure. all right, frowned upon, I'm more old school maybe than other people, but, uh, you know, 
Yeah, Again, 36 you, and 24 is not a controversy. You want to be haughty toddy and frown upon it, fine. I just, you know, in this case, yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense. All right, let's go to Cherry, which is the next trailer debut we had to uh, get on top of here. It's a teaser. We get a scene of Tom Holland with awkward hair enlisting in the military. This is a movie that's done by the Russo brothers. It's a rated R drama, and it's for Apple TV+. I'm excited to see Apple push the bounds of their quote-unquote brand with a film like this. I think that they've gone for the four-quadrant appeal stuff more often than not, but this Mm -hmm. is going to be hard R. This is going to be a movie about drug abuse. This is going to be a movie uh, that's going to show like everybody's favorite neighborhood Spider-Man doing some bad stuff. And, and yeah, it's going to be something that's probably a little critical of the military, I think. I think you're going to see some of that. I'd be surprised if you didn't. So the Russo brothers are not get necessarily giving their usual fare here. And I'm a little dismayed about the reception, Mike, because we saw the reception mm-hmm. hit uh, film Twitter this, this week as well. Tom Holland's getting a lot of buzz because it seems like it's a showcase for him. But the Russo brothers and the story and the composition doesn't necessarily seem to be resonating with people as I thought it would. And after I, you know, just, I just binged community. I think I stopped <laughs> and, you know, towards, I, I mean, after Troy left, I stopped that. I just, I can't go back. They, they got like three episodes in a row were bad and everybody in the world said they get real bad, including you. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I'm done at that point. Yeah. But you know, watching the Russo brothers shoot their action movie re- reels, during community right. and all those special episodes, right. like, and then fanboying and studying the MCU the way we did, I, I was hopeful that the Russo brothers would be able to find some success elsewhere. But you know, the responses seem very mixed. And this trailer, this teaser, really just doesn't. I mean, there's a failed joke about the Joker word. I mean, come on, I mean, that haircut is awkward. I don't know. I'm, I'm going the other way. I, I could not be more happy and pleased with the reception of this movie on its first I mean this trailer came out and I retweeted it on our account and I was hoping someone would talk me out of how forced and contrived it looks Yeah, like this seemed immediately to me like an Oscar grab but it's you know, I don't know that it's Jay Edgar, but it's not veiled at all that this is Tom Holland trying to go from teenage Peter Parker to um, I'm dead serious now. But you can't just go from Peter Parker to Jake Gyllenhaal and brothers, you know, like yeah, yeah. Zendaya didn't just go from wherever she started to right to Malcolm and Marie. She didn't go from like Disney to Malcolm and Marie. There were steps along the way. There was euphoria. There was other things she did along the way. And maybe this is what Tom Holland is doing. I I, I feel like the Oscar talk for him in this performance is probably going to end up being a bit premature and a bit like, well, we already said that this movie is going to be good before we saw it. So we might as well at least say he was that good in it at the (laughs) outset. But cynical. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I mean, look. I, this is how I feel about it. Now, all that said, Holland is said to be the best part about this movie. It is yeah. said to be a decent enough performance. Chris Evangelista, who we've quoted a bunch on this on this podcast, described it as this in a tweet. He said, "Quote: Cherry, too long, too messy, too much narration. However, Tom Holland is great. Best performance I've seen from him so far. And that's really <laughs> all I needed or wanted anyway from this. So, with that." much said i i look forward to not only seeing tom holland's growth as an actor but also seeing how much of a train wreck this thing is around him really <laughs> well we've seen some <laughs> movies that have been train wrecks around pretty good performances right. this year and unfortunately it seems like the united states versus billy mm-hmm. holiday mike beyond its production design which is stellar beyond yeah. this performance from andre day 
this movie is getting hurt by the critical reception thus far. I don't think I felt as much nothing from a trailer this year than I did in watching this. I mean, was the chosen dialogue for this trailer just copy and pasted from every racial tension drama of the past five years? It was rough. Was this not so on the note? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, some of the lighting looks great. The costumes and production design, like you said, I agree with you. They seem top-notch. I'm very curious to see Andre Day. I do not know much about her at all. She sounds and looks great. But, I I mean, I don't know that there's enough here to make me all that interested to even tune in. Never mind support it for Oscars right now. It's a shame, too, because the story is there. Like, Billie Holiday, I watched that documentary uh, at the festivals, and... That's quite the story. I mean, it got the documentary Billy got off to a slow start, but once it picked up, I mean, there's a mystery involved in it. It really is a hell of a story, and it is, you know, it's a rough story at times. But what a life she had! So the fact that they kind of botched this, seemingly, you know, again, we'll have to see it for ourselves. It does come out on Hulu on the 26th of February, so you never know. I mean, maybe people are wrong. It wouldn't be the first time, but yeah, it does seem like this one is not going to necessarily have a multi-category appeal other than crafts. And, and you know, who knows? Maybe Andre Day is really that good right. and she grows on people because, you know, she's been in the conversation all along. That is certainly the most appealing aspect. There's Andre Day, maybe we have a new starlet, maybe we have a new future movie star on our hands. That's great. I'm, I'm, I'm curious to, to see where her career goes. The trailer <laughs> is not doing this movie any favor. If you were going to cut this trailer the way this trailer is cut, why wouldn't you make sure that the movie's named Strange Fruit? <laughs> yeah. I mean, how uh, much well, they talk about that, and it's the last words of the trailer said, and it, it just seems very bizarre to me. Yeah, it, it makes the... Uh, it, it, may, it would make it much more depressing, but it makes yeah. the trailer... De- I mean, it makes the trailer uh, difficult, because it's just... That song is too good for that trailer. Let's put it that way. Uh, that's the that's my honest take. That trailer is not as good that. as yeah. that song. I don't disagree with that. I think that's yeah. a that's a very good point by you. The little things, Michael. I you know we don't have to go into this ad nauseum, but this is a really cool looking serial killer cop movie. I can't wait to see this. I will watch movies like this even when they're bad. So I'm excited mm-hmm. that the little things is coming to HBO Max. I'm worried, like you, I've made predictions and like. You, we are getting to the point where we're kind of reading these things and reading the scaffolding of these buildings, and we're a bit clairvoyant to mix my metaphors here. So <laughs> I'm hoping they fool me, but I'm right. worried that I've already predicted the end. Exactly. Like that's that's the one thing I know about this movie. <laughs> it's like this looks great. Denzel and Rami both look top notch in their performances. Jesus Leto is properly creepy, <laughs> and she comes off as very suspicious, but. Like, clearly Denzel did it, right? (laughs) Well, he did something. Right. And Leto's character should be named, like, Rufus Red Herring or something. (laughs) (laughs) I hope not. No, I I think Denzel... I don't want to spoil it. I think I'm right. Well, we don't know. We're not spoiling it. We don't know anything about it. Well, I I feel bad because last time I was was dead nuts on the midnight sky. It's not our fault. Yeah, I'm gonna hold. I'm gonna abstain with my theory. But Michael, I, the last thing I, I didn't write this down, but Judas and the Black Messiah got its first reception. Daniel Kaluuya, I just love that tweet from Eric Weber saying he puts on a Category Five performance, so he's rolling into supporting actor like we've been predicting all year from that one trailer of Judas yeah. and the Black Messiah. We were like, hey, Daniel Kaluuya, if he's a supporting, and he's given this for the whole film. 
how is this not the the lead in the supporting actor category? That's that really hasn't had anybody take that lead and take the strangle on that category yet. So why not him? Why isn't he breaking through this year? This is the latest in any award season, and obviously has to do with the pandemic and the new schedule and all that. But it, I, I was looking back at this time last year, the Golden Globes had already passed, and we already right. all knew that 1917 was going to be a force. This is the latest in any award season, at least that I can remember, that we have multiple films that seem like they're going to be huge power players in major categories, Judas and the Black Messiah, Malcolm and Marie specifically, that Mm -hmm. just got their first looks by people, never mind whole swaths of voting bodies. Uh, So this is really, really unique times, and it kind of all goes in line with, okay, now we're getting to the end of where we know what the films will be. So now we can start diving in, I feel like. I feel yeah. like award season is starting in earnest. As much as we try to make it a year-round thing here, and I think we do a decent job of it, it feels like it's starting in earnest, and now we're getting off the the starting blocks, heading towards that sprint towards April here. Well, we've stepped on a lot of jokes from one another today. We've stepped on a lot of uh, lines from movies <laughs> and plot lines from movies. Uh, and Denzel's yes. the killer. <laughs> No, you just stepped on our main motto that we make award season year-round when you put out that tweet saying, oh, no, this is not award season. Fuck all you guys being so Be excited. honest with me. Be what? honest with me. Be honest with Mike, me. Mike, how can you say that? What? How are you trolling our own thing? You trolled us with that, with that tweet. I've I, never been more confused by a tweet before. I want you to be honest with me. When you read a tweet I say, I send, mm-hmm. do you read it in that voice in your head? <laughs> Yes, I this bitch in my head. Like we make you're the one who came up with the saying, not me. You came up with the you know the tagline. We make award season year round, but you said the tweet. We are not having an award season yet. What are you yeah. talking about? Well, un- unironically, look, and I'm I'm being dead serious here. I'm not I'm not pulling any punches. It's been, this has been tough for me to get into as far as award season goes, and I've been out, I've been pretty blatant and honest about that. These the movies up to this point have not to me felt like by and large anyway for the most part there's been a couple but at this point i understand everyone's rushed to want to you know be like at the height of oscars season it's not that it wasn't award season it's just that i felt like the big guys are gonna come the big guys are gonna come and now it feels like the big guys are finally here and we can start digesting them that's i mean maybe it read a little more cynical than than i meant it maybe i felt a little more cynical at the time i'm sure i did but i feel like this is we're now getting to the point where okay now the cards are on the table and we see the end of the tu- light at the end of the tunnel here now we can start having these arguments in in earnest I am glad that you're starting to think about that award season might be coming. <laughs> Can I just put it that way? That's not what I said, you son of a bitch. <laughs> well, now I have to troll you because that's what I do. This is talk radio. No, this is what I think is talk radio. All right. I, so, yeah, it's it's coming. We're starting to see the Oscar field. And we talked about right. the Oscar mural years ago. We've mixed all kinds of metaphors on this show. Now we're track-related kind of thing with the Oscar race checkpoint. Yeah, this is the starting gun. Okay, can you say that with the Gothams? Sure. Yeah, I think that makes sense to me. Now we see it. Now we see the track. Now we see that we know what's what's ahead of us. I don't think there's going to be any more surprises. Maybe there's one, like, but I don't think the well, that's, French. You were saying is, the whole time yeah. too. Like, is, is Sundance going to have something in store for us? We don't. It, it was just unfounded territory, and that's right. really what I was. You know, that's really what I meant more than anything. It's just it's it's way too early to say this should be in the lead for best picture. And again, Nomadland's had that track. Can mm-hmm. it mo- maintain that momentum? I don't think so. Really? 
Well, I don't know. Again, I think, uh, you know, I went on a similar rant earlier where I was like, maybe in this weird-ass year it sure. does. Maybe it does, and yeah. again, you know, it has it throughout history. There have been some movies that have gone the distance, and then there have been some really weird movies that have come back from the dead, mm-hmm. you know, sure. going back in Oscars history. And so, look at Pro- that's what Promising Young Woman is kind of doing right now. I mean, it, you know, it was it was scheduled for that April release. It kind of... Some critics mm-hmm. were high on it over the summer when they got their hands on it because they saw it early. The, mm-hmm. the hype for it died down a little. Now it's been re-released and debuted to the public in Christmas. And now Carrie Mulligan is on fire everywhere you look around uh, film Twitter, at least. True. And, hey, that's what's coming next from MMO to get into the outro here. So <laughs> I'm excited. I'm excited for us to weigh, on, weigh in on that uh, uh, Promising Young Woman in the next episode. So you're saying I can't say making award season year-round anymore? Is that is that the death of the... Uh, we have to come up I'm with just another motto. Saying it, you know, it doesn't land on me the same way. I'm like, I'm like, say it ain't so, Joe. In that moment, I, I, that's where I was. So I just, you know, I'm glad you defended yourself, though. So we're, we're, we're we'll eventually be okay again. Well, I have a couple seconds here to think of something on the fly. But as always, guys, we want to hear from you. We want to hear your thoughts, uh, not only about these trailers, about the HFPA categorizations, anything else we talked about. Uh, your talk, your takes on the Gotham's. What did you think of the the production of the show overall let us know that as well as any other thoughts comments questions or ideas you have about anything else we do here in the mmo empire you can leave us those on our social medias we are mike mike and oscar on facebook and on instagram we are at mm and oscar on twitter mike mike and oscar at gmail.com.com and on reddit we are available wherever you do hear podcasts if you happen to be listening to us on the apple podcast app if you would be so kind as to tap on our cartoon faces and leave us a five-star review that would be awfully cool of you and make our entire day michael you said what's coming next what about some words of wisdom here to end on it's award season when i say it is i'm that's peter all, griffin all, i'm mike one all, shut up stewie all i want is what i want when i want it is that so much to ask you're a monster <laughs> <laughs> promising young woman next from mike mike and oscar we'll see you guys guys when award season sucks <laughs> you could you could follow us and talk about it. We're Mike, Mike, and Oscar still. We do something here. We'll see you all next time. See ya. <laughs>